Hey, what's up? It's The Drive with Sam Piper, ESPN Radio 93.5. Derek Piper, Lante is not here today, but he will be for the foreseeable future because I'll be gone. My wife getting induced tomorrow, baby girl on the way. So this will be the last time you hear from me for a little while. I'll make sure to stay in touch, maybe a call next week at some point, and then back in the studio in a week or so. Uh, we'll, we'll play it by ear, see how my wife's doing and everything. Uh, but Kyle Tosk with me today. How's it going, Kyle? Great game in uh, Evanston last night, or I should say between the Evanston-based Northwestern Wildcats and Purdue. Wow, overtime and felt like Northwestern obviously played well enough to win. That was a thriller last night. That was a great game. Northwestern's been involved in like every top game in the Big Ten so far this year. Both Purdue games have gone to OT. That Illinois game was fantastic, went to overtime. They're... Who would, have, team. who would have thought Northwestern would be like the most fun team to watch in the conference? Crazy. And it might be true. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nuts? You've got uh, Nebraska's been an entertaining team as true, well. Yeah. So uh, hopefully got a good game on our hands tonight between Nebraska and Wisconsin. Huskers got to get them at home. They've played so well at home. Wisconsin, no, they got the two against Purdue, but really becomes a race if Nebraska knocks them off and then you're going to get a loss between one of the two Sundays. So got to have those Huskers come through. Now, I, I like them tonight. I don't know. I'm just know. riding that Nebraska home wagon. They make shots at home. They, they're fun. Undefeated in their home building during Big Ten play. Not the same team on the road. And Illinois fans hope that holds over the weekend when they come to Champaign on Sunday to do battle with the Illini. Two days off for Illinois as Luke Goody shared with us following their 12-point win on the road on Tuesday against Ohio State. So they were off yesterday, off again today. They'll gear up game prep starting tomorrow. I know that Brad probably will talk on Saturday, so you may not hear that one. I haven't got an email quite yet on as far as media availability, but uh, let's focus on that Purdue-Northwestern game. I had someone tweet at me last night, who should we be pulling for? And I think the obvious answer is Northwestern, even though they would have tied Illinois with the win in terms of the conference standings. That would have given Purdue their third loss in league. They would have been eight and three. Illinois sitting are they, they're seven and three, so it would yep. be a half game back. But in terms of tying in the the loss column, and like you said, Purdue and Wisconsin in Madison on Sunday, one of those teams will have to take a loss. But Man, I mean, Boo Booey was great down the stretch. He finishes with 25 points. Ty Berry has 25 as well. You had Zach Eady, who was a monster. Uh, I know we're going to talk quite a bit probably about the way he was officiated. Oh, my God. Uh, I got some thoughts on that one. That was brutal. 46 free throws for Purdue, eight free throws for Northwestern. Different teams stylistically. Chris Collins ejected in the final seconds of overtime after – what should have been at least a non-call, if not an offensive foul on Lance Jones as they trapped him on the baseline. Definitely an offensive foul. Right. The hook Absolutely was very obvious. Foul. But he was I think he was going to lose the ball anyway. Yeah, I know. It's just that whole thing. It feels like that's a common thing you see now in basketball where officials are just anticipating a foul in those late-game situations. And it's almost impossible for you to execute a trap or to get a steal on those plays because – if the ball handler stumbles over, he loses the ball, the officials assume he got hit. It's just, I mean, I don't know how you play defense when you're trailing late in games. I feel like that's not just singular to that play. I've seen that so much where I feel like teams have done pretty well trapping and all of a sudden the whistle blows just because they were anticipating that contact happened. So it's just Courtney Green especially. Mm, he's like when, when he's the one standing there making the call, it's not <laughs> usually going to go well. And there's a lot of those guys in the Big Ten. Look, it's a tough job, and there's not a lot of officials like, man, he's awesome. Like, I can't remember the last referee in the Big Ten. We're like, man, he's when you get him on a game, you're super excited. The, the notable names are usually those right. for a bad reason. I like think the Borowski, uh, Courtney Green, Kelly Pfeiffer. There's, there's been a bunch through the years. Of course, Ted Valentine. The prevailing idea is that if you've never heard of the official, they're probably really good. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that's a lot of fans usually pretty excited when you get a, a group, a trio of officials that you haven't really heard of. Not to say that they wouldn't botch some calls and, and whatnot, but I think that, I mean, you know the names because those are usually guys that ref deep in the tournament. 
Um, Valentine was always one of those guys. And I think that in, in talking to some people around college basketball through the years, I think people usually thought Valentine was a good official. They just didn't love his antics and how he was a showman and, and usually would make it about himself and, and dish out and be very willing to to be hot on the trigger with technical fouls and whatnot. But uh, there are some others that would just make bad calls. Like it felt like Borowski was one of those and Courtney Green is, is pretty well known for not being great in terms of like the, the hit rate on, on what a call should be. Again, it's a very tough job. It's a very tough task to officiate Zach Eady with the way that he just has such a physical dominance over people and you have to hack him to a certain extent. There's always going to be contact. He initiates a lot of the contact. There's a clip going around from last night where he pretty much arm wraps. I don't know if it was Nicholson because Nicholson fouled out last night. I think it was Was either Hunger or Blake Preston, one of the centers, because every Northwestern center had fouled out of the game. Nicholson had five. Hunger had five. Preston is not really a center, but he had to play big guy last night. Ended up with two. I know Martinelli was like sliding down to play big, and and he he fouled out on that terrible call against Lance Jones. It's 46-8. I mean, just... I, I totally understand. I'm not naive to the fact that it's contrasting styles. Purdue plays through Zach Eady. They're going to get to the line a lot. 46-8 is pretty insane. Like, I, good for Chris Collins uh, at I, the end of the game. I, I, like, I just and I feel like that happens so much with Purdue because he is impossible to officiate. But I do feel like there has to be a level of like, all right, he can't go to the line 29 times. Like, what? How are you supposed to defend him if not be a little physical with him and try to push him off his spot a little bit? And, and he's the one that's initiating a lot of that contact, like you said, and he's got a seven-inch size advantage on some of these guys. So if we're going to call these ticky-tack little fouls every time he's touched, I just I don't think that's the right way to officiate him. I also acknowledge that there's probably times he gets hacked and it mm-hmm. doesn't get called. But, because he's not going to fall over. Right. But last night, I just, I watching that game, I was so frustrated to see just Purdue free throw contest in the second half in such a high level game. I just, I didn't think it was being officiated fairly on both sides. I also thought like Northwestern, while they are a team that played a lot on the perimeter, like there were some times where they were going to the basket and Boo Booey was driving and there was some contact there, but that's not getting called. Meanwhile, on the other end, everything's a foul. So I just, Purdue's the one team I just feel like this happens a ton where you see these 30-point free throw discrepancies. Part of that's a credit to them and the fact that they have Edie and they do get to the free throw line. Getting to the free throw line is a skill in basketball. For sure. But I just – it seems like there's been like four games that I watch Purdue. I'm like, come on with this. It's just so hard to, to officiate him. But I, last night, 46-8. Undeniably, 46-8 is insane. That's just insane. And – uh, Chris Collins did bring up in the post game last night when he met with the media that Boo Booey, a guy that is a downhill attacker, and and he didn't shoot a free throw last night. I don't That's think, right. yeah, did not attempt one. So he probably, in contrast to the calls that Purdue was getting, did not get the the benefit of the whistle probably as much as he should have. Usually, you, you bake in when you go on the road, especially in an environment like Mackey, you're probably going to get the wrong side of it just in terms of the momentum and, and there's a natural probably inclination for the referees to to side with the the energy in the crowd the crowd who's begging for fouls when they see contact booing you every time you call a foul at the other end i, I found that funny even I, in I, the that's Purdue's never committed a foul they don't think to that, so that fan base there. yeah but they're fine getting 70 free throw attempts. It's they, funny how that one works. They've got the Coleman Hawkins uh, <laughs> dynamic in their head of that they've never committed one. And it that, that crowd was so angry with some of the calls in that Illinois-Purdue game. Uh, I remember yeah. that they were just – anytime Illinois would get a – would get fouled at the other end. They would they would boo and be and look. It's it's not like unique to Purdue by any means, but it it is kind of funny how sometimes they'll get that. That whistle that probably is is borderline and it goes their way, but then obviously at the other end they're they're not too happy about it. Through the years, I mean, Cole Center that was always one that got talked about even around Illinois when Illinois had a lot of a lot of years where they didn't win. There it was like you're you're not only playing five on five. A lot of times you're you're playing maybe eight on five. In that sense, Indiana's been a place that it can swing to the home side. So I mean, there, there's a natural built-in expectation for that through college basketball. But 
uh, it has seemed pretty noticeable for Purdue. And uh, I know that a lot of fans have talked about this for a long time. And even Brad kind of said it in an offhanded comment. I think it was leading up to the Illinois-Purdue game last month was that I wish Kofi got the calls that Zach Eady does. And, and that's been a fan narrative for a long time. And admittedly, as as a basketball watcher and fan, but obviously someone that covers it, I like to not dwell too much on the officiating because I feel like you, you can't control it. Like You want to believe, obviously, and there's enough plays in a game for the, the players to decide it. I'm not being blind to the fact that there aren't calls that swing games and, and certain guys get different whistles or star treatment and whatnot. But last night was an example where I'm like, man, it feels like I watched a lot of Kofi Coburn and I don't feel like he got a lot of those. It felt like there were a lot of times where he had to play through uh, a hit on the arm or a, a moving defender, mm -hmm. uh, sagging and, and hanging from your shoulder, where Edie, I'm not saying there aren't – instances where that happens but last night it felt like he was getting a lot of those calls fortunately for Northwestern Edie only went eight for 17 from the line which allowed them to stay in it and have a chance to win there at the end of regulation but uh, Bowie got a good look on that oh, floater I thought that was going in just a little He's short just as clutch as possible like that he had one step back three there with like two minutes left that I thought when that shot went in, I thought Northwestern was going to win. Now, I think Lance Jones hit two straight threes for Purdue, so that was big too. But Bowie is just like – I can't believe how far he's come as a player. Like, you think back to when he was an underclassman, and you were like, ah, oh, Boo Bowie, Northwestern, they're terrible. He just chucks some shots up. Mm -hmm. And he is truly – like, he should be getting All-American consideration for what he's doing with this Northwestern team. This is going to be a Northwestern team that goes back to the tournament for the second straight year. He's averaging, like, 20, one of the clutchest players. He's hit clutch shots to beat Illinois, to beat Purdue. And, and you look at the roster around him, and there's good pieces around him. But, like, you just – comparatively talent-wise to some of these other teams that are having much worse seasons – what Boo Booey's doing to elevate this Northwestern team is just so impressive. And we all saw what he did when Illinois went there a week ago. So I, I just think he needs to get a more national respect than he's getting. And I just, am, I'm stunned at how far he's come as a player because I remember back like three years ago when I just, I thought he was bad. I thought he was bad. And he's, he's turned into one of the best guards in the Big Ten. I've said it a number of times, but it felt like he was one of those that, could be due for an explosion early on in his career. Usually, it and, and the numbers showed it. Like he had those games against Michigan State. Usually, like he had a couple of big time twenty plus approaching thirty type of games against Michigan State, and, and they've knocked him off a few times. But there were others, especially when he got the Trent Frazier treatment <laughs> of just yeah. uh, a defender that was all up in his grill, that cut off driving lanes that. Uh, didn't allow him a lot of space to get off his jump shot. He'd put up, you know, a, a three for 13 type of night and just really struggled and would take some questionable deep threes, off balance shots, would force the issue. And if you look at it, like as a sophomore, he averaged 10 a game, shot 37% from the field and, and just wasn't all that efficient. And then now you look in his fifth year, this is his fifth year, not obviously uh, all that unique in that you got a lot of fifth year players. Uh, out there in college basketball, but uh, 19 a game. I know 21 per game if you look at just Big Ten play, but 45% from the field, which is a career high, 39% from three, career high. And his assist rate is also through the roof. I mean, he's five and a half assists. And I know we had the conversation at some point last month when we talked about, I brought up my mailbag of, of if you could steal a player from another Big Ten team and put him on Illinois. I'm changing my answer to It's got to be boo-boo. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't even be a conversation. Yeah. I, well, I still think Edie's such a difference maker. Would you put him over Zach Edie, too? No. Okay, no. It's guards. Right. It's anyone other guards. than Edie. Anyone other than Edie or just limited to guards. Yeah. I think I went with Tyson Walker before. I'm changing my answer. Bowie's just a killer. Like, that's a guy where you put it in his hands late, he's going to make something happen. And he's just – he's become such a great scorer. And he's just kind of a three-level scorer, too, where he's got he's – he plays downhill. His three-point shot, he's turned into a really efficient outside shooter. But he's also got that little mid-range float game that really yeah. kills drop coverage. And I just – I he's just has it all. I mean, he's not the best defender. But other than that, on the offensive end, he's – 
He's just impressed me so much. And really, Northwestern in general, if you take out that Chicago State loss, which you can't take out, that's a terrible loss. But if, if that didn't happen, if they found a way to squeak that one out, wouldn't they be kind of right in the Wisconsin-Illinois tier, the they Big would. Ten? They like, would. Pretty consensus. They'd be 16-5, and five, which is exactly what Illinois is. They'd be 6-4 and four in the Big Ten, which their four losses are at Purdue, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, at Illinois. No shame right. in any of those four. They beat Purdue at home. They beat Illinois at home. Like they're they're right there. I mean, they're I think they're clearly the fourth best team in the conference. If not, you want to have a debate about Illinois or someone else. Like they're they're really good. I think they're really good. I think you could have a conversation. Illinois fans obviously going to side with with their home team. I do and the think fact Illinois they beat them better. by thirty. I do think Illinois is a slightly better team, but they're it's right worth the conversation. Them. They're right yeah. behind. They're like in that mix. For sure, yeah. I, I just love what they do offensively. I think it's really impressive. I think they run really good stuff. Like their actions that they put Bowie in and, and the way that they, with Nicholson, have him as an off-ball screener. I know that Atlanta fans will bring up that he maybe sticks his <laughs> hip out or his butt out at times and can, can hang you up on some, you know, by the, by the book, maybe some illegal screens. But uh, I think that they're tough to guard. That They put you in actions where they can back cut you. They can come off curl screens. And they're top 25 nationally in offensive efficiency. I know I mentioned yesterday how Purdue, Illinois, and Wisconsin are all top five in the country, but Northwestern's not that far behind. They're also considered a high-level offense. They're shooting 39% from three as a team. That's 11th in the nation. They don't turn it over. Barry, with the way he's shooting it, Langborg has has shot it well. I think Barnheiser's one of the most. Maybe he's not – consider that underrated anymore I still think if you went around the league and named you know off the top of your head the top players and he's not like first or he's not first tier he's I'll I'll be curious you know maybe he's a third team type of guy but I think he's a really really good player like a guy that deserves more consideration probably around the league as as being one of the better guys in the Big Ten so uh, I think Collins has done a tremendous job in a year where obviously you're two years removed where he's firmly on the hot seat they don't go to the tournament last year. He probably gets fired, but they do. They lose Audige, which was kind of a, a curious decision from him because he didn't yeah. get drafted, and you wondered what his pro prospects were going to be. But he lost. How good would they be if he came back? I know, I know. Because the thing they're missing is they they've taken a big drop off defensively. defensively. Yep. If you stick him on there, he can still shoot it too. So it's not really going to affect your offense that much. Man. Would would they be in the conference title mix? I mean, I mean, would they have won any of those four road games with Adige? I I don't know, but possibly, possibly. I mean, they're they're not like he's he's a better athlete than what they have on the perimeter. Gives them a little bit more size, a little bit more defensive prowess. I mean, they were a, considered one of the better defensive teams in the league last year. He was a co-defensive player of the year with Caleb McConnell. Would they be that different than Wisconsin? I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's funny because it's not like they really added much from last year. So it's just, it's just guys taking a step forward, I guess. Is Other really, than Langborg. That's true. Langborg has been good. On that note, I want to do a draft of the top transfers in the Big Ten as we go along in this show. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of, a lot of good ones. I Admittedly, I haven't put a ton of thought into my neither, neither have I. You my draft it to board. me like twenty yeah, no. <laughs> minutes before the show, so we'll both be just kind of freestyling. I, I was thinking, yeah, I was like, what are we going to talk about today? Obviously, Northwestern Purdue. Um, we, we don't have any guests, but l- what's something fun that we can hit on as far as college basketball goes? And that came to mind. So I think we can go around and kind of just do like a just to make our big board as we go through each team and who deserves to be in consideration, and then we can just for fun make it have a draft back and forth, see where Marcus Damas goes. Uh, is Khalil Ware the top pick? There, there's some tough choices to make. Um, Quincy Guerrier is obviously in that mix, and uh, we'll have that conversation as we go along, and obviously we'll want input from you on the U of I Atlanta Link text line. So with that win last night, to revisit here, like you said, Northwestern falls a game back of Illinois. They're at 6-4. and four. They're in fourth place in the league. You've got Wisconsin, a game up. Well, Purdue is nine and two. Wisconsin eight and one. We'll see kind of where this thing goes tonight. I guess they are technically a game up, but it'll swing half a game a direction tonight. True. 
True. So we'll see how that goes tonight. I want to talk more as we go along about Wisconsin, Nebraska. But yeah, I mean, I think Northwestern's a team that prior to the Illinois game, we wondered, and they were in terms of their resume on the bubble. Now they're in a good position and they wouldn't surprise me if they're a second weekend team. No, they got to play. I mean, sometimes all it takes is that one guy to carry you, that one superstar player. And they have it in Boo Booey. I mean, you see, if they're a seven seed in the tournament, no 10 seeds having a player on his level. And then he's going to give a two seed a lot of problems, I'll tell you that. And yeah. just the way they play is going to give a two seed. Or a, if they're an eight, nine, I, they got to be higher at this point. They beat Purdue, Illinois. I think that I'm curious to see where they do get seeded because I feel like I've heard them in bubble conversations recently, and I've been shocked by that. Is the Chicago State loss that Does damaging? Hurt. I mean, it is really bad does it outweigh beating purdue though at home i don't think so but plus having the illinois win that was a big deal to move them up i would imagine i don't know what they're on kempom they're in the 40s now i think it's high 40s when you look at their net ranking pull it up here real quick they are this is great radio 55th Mm. four quad one wins but that Chicago State loss is a quad yeah, four. Yeah. It's it's probably going to be as about as ugly as That's any bad. at-large team in terms of a loss. But we'll see. And that that's, that's scary, though, because that loss, when they would be maybe a six seed or something, that loss will knock them down to seven or eight, and all of a sudden you're a one seed or a two seed having to see that team and the way they can shoot with a superstar fringe all-american caliber point guard that's not a matchup i want to see if i'm like arizona or kansas Mm -hmm. or someone yeah for sure yeah you think about kansas and that with the drop of hunter dickinson and and they just have done a great job against bigs yes i I, even though Edie does what he does last night i feel like they keep themselves in it against him they do you know like they just they trap for whatever reason like he gets his numbers but they play in a way that they're they're going to keep themselves in the game when they play him. Because I feel like he's had 30 in all three games that they played, but right. Northwestern's won two of them and taken the other one to OT. True. There's something that other coaches need to look at there because it's, it's so hard to beat this Purdue team, and Northwestern's the one that's consistently been right with them, and you wouldn't expect them to be the one. Definitely not. Kyler mentions on the U of I Atlanta Link text line, they are an eight seed on bracket matrix, the lowest ranked eight seed. Yeah, that that loss, I guess that loss, I'm not giving it enough credit. It is a horrendous loss. It's really bad. I don't know how that happened. Was ha- someone out that game? or I, can't- I don't think so. Oh, boy. Uh, Wesley Cardit, who was on Chicago State, was once an Illinois recruit, had an Illinois offer. I don't know how his path ended him up at – Chicago State, but I know he had a big game in that one. That's just one of those where it was a major letdown. It was a week after beating Purdue, and they're on their home floor and lost 75-73 to a Chicago State team that's currently 11-16. and That's better than they usually are, but still, that's a pretty Wasn't ugly Wasn't there loss. one year where they won like two games the whole oh, year? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or maybe a couple of years. They've, they've, had, they've had those seasons in the past for sure, but – a decently favorable schedule for Northwestern going forward. You look on Kempom, they're going to only be, as of right now, projected as an underdog in two games the rest of the year. So that's a good way to, to stack wins. I know they probably I don't, don't think they're losing at Welsh Ryan again. Probably not. Their home games, Nebraska, Penn State, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota. Definitely yeah, five should not. And five definitely and oh, yeah. should not lose again uh, at Evanston. So, uh more to talk about, I want to ask you, we are due for a break, but I want to ask you about just the current thoughts on Purdue. Has, has anything changed or swung with like last night's game, the fact that their, their guard play, even though you know Matt Painter made a big deal about Braden Smith not being on the Bob Cousy watch list, not considered a top 10 point guard, although he had a, a million assists last night. 16. Wow. Lance Jones had a pretty good game. I think people are still pretty high on Purdue, although there is that lingering feeling of, hey, you know, if, if Zach Eady isn't great for whatever reason, like just insanely productive, the supporting cast around him maybe does falter and, and they get knocked off. So I want to ask you about that. I'm curious, obviously, 
your thoughts on the text line, 217-359-2255, U of I, Alina Link text line. We have a number of other ones to get to that you guys have already sent in, so we appreciate the response. Once again, we're going to do a Big Ten basketball transfers draft as we go along here. We'll probably do that in a four-hour, get the, the big board built, and then Kyle and I will draft and see – whose side is feeling better at the end of it. So uh, look forward to doing that. We're due for a break, though. Stick with us. We'll talk more Northwestern, Purdue, get you ready for Wisconsin and Nebraska. It feels like a game day here in Champaign because that's how big of a, a contest it is tonight. We're but, at that point in the winter where it's just standings watching. And I know. It's fun. You get to that point by, like, February where every night it's like, all right, who do we need to lose tonight? I, I, it is fun. It is. It's, it gives it's you a lot better gives than you a rooting interest. A lot better than looking at the bubble <laughs> yeah. and who are the first, who are the last teams in that need no to doubt. lose so Illinois can get in the tournament. Uh, those are those days have been in the past and hopefully will continue to be in the past for the Illini program. Going to take a break. We'll be back. Talk more hoops. This is the drive. First Federal Savings Bank of Champaign-Urbana invested in our community since 1908. Before you buy your home in 2024, we invite you to speak with one of our experienced lenders, Jack, Jim, Kim, or Lane. Experience the convenience of working with a local lender with local service, decisions, and loan underwriting in our comfortable offices. Visit us to experience the exceptional friendly service from our knowledgeable staff. Hey, if you're not already banking with us, give us a try. We think you'll love it here. We do. 356bank.com, First Federal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS. 435120. Welcome to Dick Van Dyke Appliance World. Hi, I'm looking for a refrigerator. When you buy from us, you get the whole store. Oh, yeah, well, I just need a refrigerator. Don't need the whole store. But you get it, the whole store. My kitchen is only about this big. You get me. Hello. All those delivery, installation, and service technicians in back. Wow. All those people? The Dick Van Dyke 510 year protection plan, which means in the unlikely event something goes wrong in the first five years, your repair cost is nothing. Nothing? 10 years parts coverage on the major components. Looks like I'm getting more than the refrigerator today. Um, how much does this whole store cost? Nothing. Come on. For real. We guarantee to beat any competitor's deal, all that other stuff we talked about, like our service tax. And your 510 year protection plan. All all included. I'm Dennis Freak and chairman of Dick Van Dyke Appliance World. And when we say you get the whole store, we mean the whole store. Wow! Dick Van Dyke Appliance World. When you buy from us, you get the whole store. You have money laying all around your house. You just don't know it. And no, I don't mean selling your great-grandma's good china. I mean all the old metal items you don't want to use or get rid of. Don't pay someone to haul it away. Bring it into Max Twin City Recycling and get paid to have it taken off your hands. They love new customers and are more than willing to walk you through their process step-by-step. Step. Come check them out at 2808 North Lincoln Avenue in Urbana. Norm Miller here, chairman of Interstate Batteries. You know, without batteries, life would be pretty lifeless. That's why Interstate All Battery Centers carry them in every size, shape, and style so you can drive, drill, call, film, or do whatever it is you want to do. Stop in today. They've got the power to keep you going. Interstate All Battery Center. Outrageously dependable. Interstate All Battery Center. You'll find them outrageously dependable just over Interstate 74 at 2504 North Mattis Avenue in Champaign. With batteries for most every application in stock. This is XYZ Insurance. How can I help? I have a question about my home policy. Okay, question about phone policy. <sighs> home policy. Okay, gnome policy. H-O-M-E, home. Technology is great, but sometimes it's better to talk with a real person. With Erie Insurance, you have a caring, independent agent who's with you from beginning to end. We don't have any H-O-M-E's on record. Your Erie agent in Champaign is Thomas and Eller's Insurance. Go to erieinsurance.com for company licensure and product details. I'm Justin Ike, co-owner of Fred's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning, Electric, and Underground. So, Justin, tell me what you see as typical when it comes to sewer repair. Give me a scenario. Your sewer's backed up and somebody comes along and says, you need this repair for X amount of dollars. Here's my price. And you don't think to go looking for another company or a second opinion because you don't feel like you have time. So is it possible that you might get charged a little more because it's kind of a desperate moment? Do some companies do that? Oh, absolutely they will. They know you're in a pinch. Typically, if you call us, me or Will can be out there within an hour to look at that problem for you. Whether you call me first or you call me second, make sure you give me a call. Anything else, Justin? You can always trust Fred's. Great to know. Thank you. 
That's Justin Ike, the co-owner of Fred's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, Electric, and Underground. If you want more information about this great 45-year family-owned company, just go to fredscu.com. That's fredscu.com. Back on the drive with Sam Piper, ESPN Radio 93.5. Let's get to a couple of your texts on the U of I Atlanta Link text line. Adam in Normal says, speaking on the Purdue game last night, does it seem like Courtney Green and Kelly Pfeiffer have worked a lot less games this year? Either way, they're both awful. I hope they have. I don't think they have. I don't have the tally. Do we have a, a website that, that charts how many games people are getting? I have not I think seen. I Ken uh, has their ref ratings. I don't uh, know if it has the number of games. Haven't seen Scarado yet this year. No, is he? Is he? Is he gone? still doing it? See, that's the thing. All the guys you know. The I name think he of. is. There was something where he's not doing it this year. Luckily. Okay. Larry Scarado. Um. He did get fired from the Fort Lauderdale. Oh, that's uh, right. Police department. He's a police chief. He was. Oh. <laughs> he was a police chief. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't seen Pfeiffer's done. There is a total here on the Ken Palm ref ratings list. Okay. Courtney Green has done 47 games this year, which m- the top guys are in the 60s. So it is less than some. What about Pfeiffer? You see him? Uh, he. Oh, let me look for him. Shane says Scarato retired. He's the police chief in Pittsburgh. So uh, there you go. Pfeiffer's done 45. So, yeah, not a ton. I mean, comparatively, these top guys have done 60-some. So, Who are some guys at the top? Any recognizable names? Jeffrey Anderson, the high knees guy, is uh, rated number one. He's working, man. He's done 61. He was just on the Illinois-Ohio State game, right? That's right. Terry Oglesby's a guy that yep. he's done 60. Keith Kimball has done the most, 73 games. Jeez, wow. My goodness. He's been doing it every day. These guys are all over the place. All right. Who are some other Big Ten ones I'm Um, trying to recognize here? Brian Dorsey's a Big Ten guy, right? 53 games for him. He's top 20 in the ratings. I don't know how you rate these guys. You go back and watch every call. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good – we might have to have Ken Pomeroy on to just ask him that question. Of course, there's a lot you can ask Carstensen, ranked 30th in the country, 48 games. Okay. 30th is a little generous <laughs> for him. I mean, come on. It, yeah, knowing his reputation, I would say that's that's usually a guy that you don't love being on your game. But, again, it's one of those anytime you see a name that you recognize, usually you're unhappy about him being there. Wes says, send Courtney Green and company to Lincoln. Let's get the Huskers 48 free throws tonight. Yeah, that would help. Yeah, that'd be nice, although they're probably not going to get that because they, all they do is shoot. True. True, no doubt. Um, Wade says officiating last like last night is why Big Ten teams have such a hard time being successful in the NCAA tournament. Courtney Green is bad. I there's would prefer something th- there. Yeah, I, 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 there's something to that. It's not a complete blow that off as a point. I just I feel like there is something too. Like when you get a different officiating crew in the tournament. I like with Purdue, like you saw in that FDU game, they were letting those smaller FDU guys be physical with Edie mm-hmm. and they weren't really calling a whole lot. In the Big Ten, he's at the line 48 times and Purdue wins that by 20. That's just the way it was. I, yeah, I agree. I think that there are obviously instances where Illinois has been on the side of a, a, a more sensitive whistle in the tournament, like the Sean May game. Uh, Augustine against Sean May in the title game. Illinois against Arizona in the Elite Eight back in early 2000s were 50-some free throws, 50 right? some free throws, right? Yeah, and I think that if you talk to Corey Bradford and those guys as we have through the years, they, they mentioned that the physicality in the Big Ten, then you, you run into some officials that don't ref the Big Ten and they might, that type of... They'll call too many fouls. Yeah, that type of physicality down low might get, get more fouls, but... Uh, it's interesting. I feel like sometimes when you get into postseason play, 
they might let more go, especially down the stretch of a game. It's an interesting case study. If someone could figure it out, someone could come up with a, a surefire answer as far as does the Big Ten, do they play too physical? Is it too ticky-tack in the, the regular season within that physicality? And would it be would it be better if – I think kind of the, the narrative I think a lot of people are clinging to is that the Big Ten needs to evolve a little bit more in terms of like – new school basketball, which of course Illinois this year is probably about as new school as it gets with booty ball. And that's not maybe that's, that's unique, but it's very much matchup seeking and isolation. And and that's a lot of what you see in the NBA screening to get matchups and then isolating that guy and forcing the, the defense to, to decide whether they want to send a double team, send help and and then kick out. Like that's very much new school and, and NBA kind of, of basketball where the big 10, a lot of times it's, it's feeding it inside. It's, it's playing to the post. It's a lot of rock fights and slug fests within the paint. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think there is something to that for sure. I don't know. I just, I feel like, I I don't know. I, it might be nothing, but the big 10, I just do feel like the, maybe it's just cause I watched the big 10, but I do feel like I watch a lot of other games, and I just feel like I'm just so frustrated with the officiating in the Big Ten, and I'm not in some of these Big 12, Big East games where I do think it just it's it's called so tight in the Big Ten. I see what you're saying in that sometimes maybe other officiating crews will see that physical Big Ten style and actually call more fouls. I almost see it as like, everything's called so tight in this physical Big Ten that once you get out and things are being let go, then no one knows what to do because they're, you know, right. one hand's being put on them in the post and they expect a foul call and then that's not flying in the NCAA tournament. True. So, I don't know. There, there, you probably goes both ways and at the end of the day probably evens out. But I can't remember which game. I was listening to Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish. I, th- I think that's who I was, but – uh, they were mentioning one game in particular that was so physical and that it felt like the refs were just letting things that should have been fouls go. I would rather see a basketball yes. game that w- go that way. I think as a fan, it's easier to say as a fan when you're not getting right. clubbed on every drive or, or whatnot. But Especially when it's two teams that are pounding it inside or they do have two really good big men going at it. Like, let those guys battle. You don't need to give all of them every call and put both of them on the bench. So right. now they're yeah. not even playing anymore. Both have two <laughs> fouls. No, just let them be physical. Obviously, if you're the, the obvious call, they're not saying tackle somebody, no call. Let's just play back, backyard <laughs> ball here. But I do think that, yeah, I'd much rather see let some of those ticky-tack things go. Let guys battle each other, even if it technically is a foul. But if so both guys are doing it evenly, yeah. just let it happen. That I'd totally with you. And I feel like that does happen Maybe maybe I'm totally wrong because I'm a Big Ten guy, but I feel like that does happen more in other games that I'm watching. And in the Big Ten, everything's called so tight, and it's really frustrating. Like last night, 46 free throw attempts is ridiculous. And it felt like that that Houston Texas game earlier this week. I mean, Houston's probably as physical as any yes. team out there. It, it was a game that wasn't decided at the free throw line. It didn't feel like no. So you want as few whistles as you possibly can to like the last two to three minutes of that game and just let the let the players decide it. If there's some extra contact and as long as it's fair on both sides, I'd, I'm here for it. Let, let's have less disruptions. I was just thrilled the other night watching the Illinois-Ohio State game and the first media timeout wasn't until like the 12-minute mark. Yeah. You had back-to-back medias because that first media at the 16 didn't – because there was no whistle. There was no fouls. There were no dead balls. You just – had a free-flowing basketball game, which sometimes we don't get enough of. So, uh, Jake says, do you think the officiating is perceived as tighter or worse in the Big Ten because there is much more focus on defense as other leagues are more offensively focused? It's a fair question. Possible. I don't know. I don't have a great answer. It just, yeah, the Big Ten is, is known as having that, those physical battles in the paint. I think that you're starting to see different teams like Iowa's obviously new school offensively, Illinois new school offensively, and, and some other squads as well where you, you still got the Purdue, you're going to feed it inside. Indiana's very much front court to the 
to the uh, Mike Woods that doesn't own. know what a guard is. Doesn't know what a three ball a three ball is. Yeah, no doubt. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. But I did want to ask you. Let's let's transition here, and not just spend the the whole time talking about officiating. Purdue at this time last year, you and I both, and I throw on in there as well. I think that even though they were highly ranked, they were at the top of the Big Ten. We had question marks. Would freshman guard play hurt them? Was there enough? You know, the lack of three-point shooting, the, the three-point numbers weren't all that great last year. Would they be an upset candidate early in the, the tournament? And we all said yes, and they obviously were. We've talked about what's different about Purdue this year, but just I, I kind of want to circle back. It probably says more about Northwestern than it does about Purdue, right? Last night, even though I think there is kind of the wonder of Edie is – they're so Edie-focused – that if there was any reason, if you could effectively double him, if you could have a, a spaced out offense that kind of then exploited him defensively to where there was a, there was enough trade off that then it kind of was like whose guard plays better at the end, then you could probably outplay them. I'm just curious in your thoughts currently on Purdue and like Final Four potential and, and what you've seen. Yeah, I go back and forth on them. I just. They're really good. I, I don't see them. I think it's highly unlikely that they're going to get upset early in the tournament again. I, I just think that when you watch this team play, there's no way, definitely no way another 16 seed's doing it. But I don't even – I just think they're kind of these middling teams I think they can take care of. I do really wonder, and I know they beat some really good teams in the non-conference, and you look at what they beat Marquette, Tennessee, Arizona – but Alabama, I, Alabama, I think there is something too, though. Like when you get out of the big 10 and you see more athletic guards and, and more explosive guards. And if you can, I think everyone's focus in, in a you're thinking about a six game path for Purdue to win a national title, all six of those games, the primary focus is going to be the rest of the teams beating us and not Zach Eady. Now that doesn't mean Eady won't get his 20 or something, but, I think there's going to be such a concerted effort by everybody to get the ball out of Edie's hands and to put all the focus on Edie. And like you said, for as good as I think Smith has been and Lance Jones, everything, I just think that there's a lot more talented supporting casts out there that Purdue is going to see. Like I, I think to me, there's three teams that I see as like the top national title contenders right now. It's UConn, Houston, and Purdue. But you match Purdue up with Houston or UConn, and I like both of those other teams in, mm -hmm. in that matchup where versus them because I like their. I think both of those teams are going to have a plan for Edie, and when it comes down to those other guys, I just like I don't know. I just I still don't have a ton of trust in Purdue supporting cast around him, and, and I probably am not giving them enough credit because they've been great. But it just. There's athletic limitations with those guys. There's size limitations with those guys. We saw last year when you're forcing Braden Smith to really have to carry the load, and he really had a terrible game against the FDU. Now he's gotten better. But when you when you make that those other guys beat you consistently, I feel like that's where Purdue gets in trouble because I just think that teams, ha teams can have better guard play than Purdue. Mm -hmm. No one's going to have a, a Zach Eady on their team. But there's plenty of teams that have better one through four than Purdue does, in my sure. opinion. I and agree if you can make it that type of game, especially like it's not going to happen every game, but can they win six straight like that? I don't. I just. I still have question marks about if they're a, a team that's going to win a national championship built solely around Edie. I just think that there's too many good coaches and teams that are going to find a way to make it a game where hey, Smith and Lawyer have to beat my two athletic guards and it might not go as well for them no i think that's well said houston obviously they wouldn't face them until the final four right they're one seeds but and i do like, think yeah, purdue has a good chance to get to the final four yeah like jamal shed and lj crier against braden smith and fletcher lawyer and houston is just so athletic i, I think it'd be interesting the way that, that game would be called probably super physical yeah. now if you're leaning towards the ticky-tack side of, of them trying to combat Edie, but they've got an athletic front court as they do every year, and they'll trap the heck out of you. They'll, they'll blitz your ball screens. They'll do, they're really impressive, obviously, defensively as they are every season, and just they want you to play in chaos. 
Yep. So I, I think that, that again, that's a matchup that we wouldn't be talking about until the teams get to the final four, but that, that's one out there. As far as the statistical profile, like they fit what a lot of these recent, especially the last decade plus, it seems like everybody, as far as Ken Palm goes, you got to have a top 20, both offense and defense. And they're number one in offense and they're number 17 in defense. They're shooting 41% from three, which is fifth in the country. So that's been a huge difference this year. Lance Jones has given them such a huge shot in the arm. I mean, last night, what, 26 points at five threes. He's a pretty good athlete and can defend. So that's helped them for sure. I do have questions about them, obviously, still with with Smith and Lawyer, uh, even though I think both guys have gotten better. I think Smith is uh, – he's got an argument in terms of the Bob Cousy Award. You do wonder like, how many of those assists would other point guards have if they were just playing pick and roll with Edie or throwing it inside to Zach. But I, I don't want to knock Purdue too much because I think they are really impressive. On the note of circle it back, it is interesting. They're 14th in the country – and fouls drawn, they're eighth in the country and defensively as far as not getting called for fouls. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I did want to kind of zoom out a little bit. Who else fits that statistical profile uh, as we go through this real quick? Houston, they're 15th in offense. They're number one in defense. You've got Arizona. They're sixth in offense. They're 11 in defense. Auburn, admittedly a team I haven't seen a lot of. 17th in offense, third in defense. They don't have a quad one win all year. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. They're the only like lock tournament team that doesn't. Jeez. North Carolina, 19th in offense, 4th in defense. That is shocking. Those two numbers for North Carolina. That's crazy. 4th in defense. I can't I can't figure out how that's happened. Teams that are just on the outside, UConn's just on the outside in terms of defense. They're 3rd in offense, 24th in defense. Illinois is 7th in offense, 33rd in defense. That's we've spent a lot of time here the last two weeks kind of talking about can they get back to a top-notch level of of defending that's kind of going to be important for them to fit that profile of teams that usually go to the final four or have a a legit chance to cut down the nets we'll see if they can get back to defending a little bit better as they were earlier in the season Kansas is, is 24th in offense 21 in defense but as we've talked about off the air it doesn't seem like a Kansas team that that has it when we saw no. them in the in October, when they were preseason number one, we're like, are they really, are they really number one? They still have no depth. They they are not. If you look at their Big Twelve numbers, they're very average defensively. Which I wonder how much that has to do with having Hunter at the five. Not to just single, not just to point him out. Yeah, uh, but on, singularly. But uh, I think that you know he's limited in terms very. of very. We saw it at Michigan. Yeah, it, true. It's just. It's tough to have an elite defense with him down there. Even right. his size at the rim causes issues, but if you put him in a lot of action, he's going to struggle. Yep. So that's uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I did as you see look something, right by now. the way. When I know they won since, so I think they're five and three in the Big Twelve now. But when Kansas lost over the weekend to move to four and three in the Big Twelve, that was the worst start. In Big Twelve play that Bill Self has had at Kansas, four and three. Great, <laughs> four and imagine, three is worse. Imagine that four and three is the most disastrous Big Twelve start to a season that Bill Self has had at Kansas, and he's been there for what eighteen years now. 17? Sounds right. Yeah, that's insanity. <laughs> I did hear that Bill's- they've also never been lower than a four seed in the NCAA tournament since he's been oh my there. Gosh. Uh, that's a spoiled lifestyle. That's a spoiled lifestyle for sure. They've experienced Bill Self tenure there in uh, Lawrence. But uh, I did see where Bill Self had a comment about it's now harder to the, – the Big 12 title may not I mean yep. as much because it's not a true round robin anymore. Convenient with the year. The, the one year that you're not at the top <laughs> of the conference, all of a sudden it's not really – that doesn't really mean all that uh-huh. much. It's interesting. Isn't that funny? It will be – we haven't touched on this, and I know we're due for a break here, um, but with the Big Ten expanding, the news has come out that they're, for now, sticking with a 20-game league slate, so you'll still have 11 non-conference games, and the the Big Ten tournament is only going to have, I think, it, what is it, 15 or 16 teams, and not every team is going to get in. I personally like the idea that 
you're still going to have the non-conference because the, the matchups are too good. And I know that now you're you're conglomerating all these these different pieces to form these super leagues. I still like to see Illinois in like a Jimmy V Classic or the, the Thanksgiving Week tournament, the Feast Weeks, the the Gavit Games, and let's be honest, you need some of the you need to play a couple bottom feeders. You just do. It's it's good for your freshmen. It's good to to work through some kinks and whatnot. I know that. You could say, well, the professional leagues, they play teams on their level their entire season. Yeah, but they also play a preseason, which they don't do in college. So do you like the idea of a 20-league a slate still, even though I don't, I don't love the fact, and this is part of me pushing back on this, like with this currently being 20 games, the odds of you'll play like Indiana twice in a season is a lot lower. Or you'll, the odds of you'll play Iowa, and I think that there's been talk of protected rivalries on the basketball side I wonder how that all plays out yeah it'll be interesting I I think that does make sense so if you're going to stay at 20 and there's going to be 17 opponents now in the conference then those those three you know teams you're going to play twice should just be the same every year your biggest rivals that, that makes sense yeah, yeah it would I, I know that if you're trying to win the league right you're if, not if gonna you're love... getting Purdue as Indiana every year you're like yeah. all right come on now Right. Like us in Minnesota have an underrated just friction about us. We we want to play them twice. It's a fair point. That's a flaw in that strategy, but <laughs> But I'm just kidding. Like obviously it wouldn't work that way. Illinois but. would get Northwestern and the what? North, what would Illinois Western Iowa be? Northwestern, Iowa and Maybe Indiana? Yeah, maybe. You'd have to imagine if or Indiana Wisconsin. if Indiana's getting three too, like you can't go four names deep and as much as Indiana fans will deny it, you're not going four teams deep and not having Illinois. That's ridiculous. So they don't think that's a rivalry. Anyways. Oh, Kentucky's a bigger rivalry. Okay. All right, we're due for a break. Let's do some uh transfer drafting as we go along here uh, in the next hour. Excited to do that. We'll put it put our big board together and when we'll draft, see who gets the better team. You can play along with us on the text line, 217-359-2255. We'll be back. This is The Drive. First Federal Savings Bank of Champaign-Urbana invested in our community since 1908. Before you buy your home in 2024, we invite you to speak with one of our experienced lenders, Jack, Jim, Kim, or Lane. Experience the convenience of working with a local lender with local service, decisions, and loan underwriting in our comfortable offices. Visit us to experience the exceptional friendly service from our knowledgeable staff. Hey, if you're not already banking with us, give us a try. We think you'll love it here. We do. 356bank.com, First Federal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS. 435120.